Welcome to Teamwork, A Better Way, the podcast filled with stories, experiences, and insights from leading high-performing team experts. Here are your hosts, Spencer Horn and Christian Napier. Hello, everyone. It's great to see you again in a blustery November morning. Spencer Horn joins me. I'm Christian Napier, and Spencer, always looking sharp uh, in your new studio, new digs. Spencer, how you doing? I am wonderful. I, so, I, I mean, I love the the cool weather because no the heaters off, windows are open, keeping the house cool. I'm I'm loving it. How are you, Christian? Ah, doing well. I have to say, um, uh, for those of us who are joining us from elsewhere in the world, we're we're here in the Salt Lake Valley in the state of Utah, and it's been really pleasant uh, the last several days. In fact. Uh, my wife and I went for a drive on Saturday up in the Uintas on the Mirror Lake Highway. I've never been in the Uintas in November, oh. ever. And there were hardly anybody, uh, there was hardly anybody up there. And uh, it was just awesome. You know, just, uh, it was cold, but it was, uh, it was awesome. So, so for those of you uh, who don't know, I mean, the Uintas are, are a mountain range that are very remote in the state of Utah. And, and you get high, high, high altitude. I mean, it is, it is really up there. And there are beautiful roads, but these roads are completely closed during the wintertime. But you can snowmobile up to them. So taking, uh, taking a drive up in them is uh, one of my favorite. I love camping and backpacking up there. It's one of my favorite places to, to go visit. Very, very remote part of the, the world. Yeah, so it was uh, it was great, you know, seeing it uh, in November. This first time, like I said, the first time I've ever been up there. Anyway, listeners and viewers probably want us to get it to the topic at hand <laughs> because it's a great one. You 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 sent it to me uh, earlier, uh, an article that you had read in uh, one of our favorite publications, Harvard Business Review, and the article was entitled "Storytelling That Drives Bold Change." Uh, the authors were Francis Frey and Ann Morris. And there was an interesting statistic in this article at the end of it, Spencer. Uh, that statistic uh, indicates that the, you know, the common perception, and it depends on how it's measured, but commonly it's known that 70% of organizational change efforts fail. The big and number. That is a huge number. That's a huge number. And uh, you know, they talk about storytelling as a way to lower that failure percentage what? and increase your storytelling. Are you kidding me? Storytelling uh, uh, is what? <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's if you look at the remedies for uh, organizational change. I, you know, maybe the traditional textbook may not talk about storytelling, but but that was a really interesting concept to me. Uh, using storytelling as a way to affect a significant change in an organization and to do it successfully. I'm curious, Spencer, what were your initial reactions when you saw this story published in the Harvard Business Review? Uh, well, it, first of all, I, I, I know it's true because I have actually been on the experiencing end of changed failure as I'm, you know, change failing as I'm sure you have. And I know that there are many of our listeners that have been part of failed change initiatives as well. And if, as I look at everything that it takes to create organizational change, behavioral change, individual change, you have to do your homework, you have to do your research, you have to know exactly, you know, what is, what are the market trends, what, you know, what is the organizational capacity, uh, you know, bring the minds together and come up with what strategies you do your research, do your homework, get feedback. from. so there's a lot of data analysis that has to happen. I'm not just saying we, we don't do that, but I think what happens is, is that we sometimes stop and just rely on, on that analysis, that idea that this, these are the steps that, that need to happen to change. And we don't get people fully on board with why we're doing this. How does it impact them? How is the world going to be better? How the business is going to be better? How their lives are going to be better? And as a result, we are not engaging their energy in creating the momentum that the organization needs to change. It is the, the secret, the ingredient that if you miss, things can really go south. But when you get it correct, 
it can have a huge momentum creating impact in the organization. Well, you mentioned Spencer that you had an experience with uh, an organization where the change was not successful. It didn't happen. I'm wondering if you can dive into that a little bit and kind of share a little bit more about that experience. Absolutely. So, you know, I, this, this is me sharing my failures and, and some of my warts, but I was part of a, an organization, a great organization called Rapport Leadership International. Many of our listeners may be aware of this. Is, this company has been in business for over 30 years, a leadership training and development company that provides intensive, transformative leadership experiences for people from all over the world. They would come to uh, the retreat that we had in, in uh, Nevada out in the desert. And it, these, these experiences were amazing. Two and a half days of just really intensive leadership training. And the training was so impactful for so many years that this, there, there was this ethos to be part of this company that was just, you know, to be, to be part of this company, you were part of an, an elite team of, of people. And our, our, Training really created so much impact on everybody that, that came to it. Yet there were many weaknesses that the organization had. Those were not exposed, Christian, until we saw the recession hit in 2008. The company had been doing well, business was booming, and then the recession hit. And one of the first things that organizations do is they cut spending on training like rapport leadership. And I just started working there in March of 2008. I was actually hired to do some organizational development training with them, which was a big change. Normally, all the training they did was with these intensive retreats. And so many of the employees already had a suspicion of, of me because they're like, well, organizational development training is, that's the weak sauce training. That's the training for, you know, for pansies. I mean, there was just this, like I said, this warrior ethos that they had that, the training that the CEO that hired me was wanting to add as an addition to was inferior. Well, at that time when the business was starting to lose money financially, they asked me to transition into sales because they needed revenue and it was not a good time to find another job. So I started doing sales in a period of five years, we had from that time, we had four CEOs, of which I happened to be the fourth. <laughs> so after five years, they had, uh, you know, I, I had had success and I had done some things differently than, than were typically done. I had to look at what I needed to do to be successful in, in the business in sales because I didn't have a book of business. So I couldn't do business the way they normally did it, which was completely referral based business. In other words, you would go to this training, Christian, and it was so impactful that I would call you afterwards and say, all right, what did you learn? What did you do? Who else do you know that you, you, you would want to send? And you'd want to send all these people. And so that's, they, they just really didn't know how to do business development because they only got referrals. Well, if you didn't have a book of business, referrals were non-existent. And so I had to figure out and get creative in ways to, um, to bring in a pipeline of, of clients. That's actually how I started speaking. That was the impetus for my, my speaking career was to create a, a way to, to generate a pipeline of clients for when I was working at Rapport. I had success. And as a result, I was asked to lead the company as, as the CEO. And I had this vision and I wanted to honor the, the you know, the, the, this warrior ethos, the great training that we had. But at the same time, there were real issues and problems that needed to be addressed and changed. The problem that I faced was the culture was so strong and I had come from within that and maybe there was some, some mistrust of what I was trying to do. And so I tried to build a sales team after the model that I had used to be successful because in the five years before I was promoted, we had recruited 55 salespeople, only two of which were successful me and one other person that, that had stayed there for a period of time. So clearly the model they had wasn't working and needed to change. And I had a, a way of doing that. And so as I started bringing on new salespeople and developing that, 
I tried to, uh, to install that without getting rid of the old way of doing business. The problem was, Christian, the gatekeepers of the culture. There are always people within an organization that are the gatekeepers of, of the way we've done things or the past cannibalized or, or basically attacked the new people coming in and say, no, that's not how you do it. You can't be successful that way. And so it, it, I tried to, to keep this old way of doing things and do it a new way, and it failed. I had created a, a, a vision. I had all the, the, the data. I had uh, an idea of where I wanted to go. But what I failed to do, Christian, was sufficiently create the why and the story and get the buy-in for the need to change. And sometimes that happens as a leader of a team or an organization because change, think about it, it's changes on top of everything else you have to do, right? You, you've got to do the regular work that you have to do. And so now you've got to, you've got to put all these initiatives, all this communication, all this you know, strategy and wrap it in a very, very compelling and clear story that gets buy-in from the team. Now, so how do you use this secret tool to go in and make change and, and get it right? If I had to do it over again, I would go back and, and do it completely differently. I was young in my career. I was new at this. And I wish I had known what I, what I know now. Now, the change that I had envisioned eventually came only three and a half years later <laughs> after I had left. It took them years to be able to begin to make those changes. And it was very painful and very costly for that organization. And I had left and, and after seven and a half years with that organization. And unfortunately, they, they didn't get where they needed to go until years, years later. And so had I been more effective at using storytelling, it could have been a different story. Now, ultimately, I'm very happy that I was able to leave because I took a lot of those lessons that I learned and put them into my own business. And I'm so happy about the outcome. And sometimes those hardships happen for, for a reason. In my case, ultimately, I was better off. But for the organization, I use this as a, a great example of how things could have been different for them. Well, the story is really fascinating to me, Spencer. As you were telling it, this analogy popped into my head and I'm going to admit that it's, I haven't cooked this analogy at all in my brain. So it's just going to come out and I'm sure it's not a perfect analogy. This you is know, a live daughter, show. You know, we're making this up as we go yeah, here. My, my daughter's a biology major and so she's yeah. fascinated by everything in the human body and so on and yeah. so forth. As you were talking about, you know, certain people in the organization serving as gatekeepers for the way things are done right? Yeah. For the culture of the company. Uh, it reminded me almost of something akin to a body's own immune system, right? That we have defenses in place to keep the body to maintain it in, in a healthy state and so on and so forth. And when you get change happening, you know, that immune response may activate sometimes to the body's own detriment, right? So, so, you know, there are a lot of autoimmune diseases where the body attacks itself thinking that it's under threat when in fact it may not be uh, that causes all these kind of weird things to happen. And uh, take, for example, you, you, you get a, a bone graft or you have a, a, an organ transplant or something. Your body's immune system comes into play because, hey, there's this foreign object in my body. We need to get rid of it. You're trying to save the when body, in but fact, it attacks itself. You're trying to save the, you're trying yeah. to save the body by performing these procedures and, and, and so on and so forth. And so you have, to, you have to have treatments that will suppress that immune response, that natural reaction to reject something. And as you talked about story being kind of a rapper, you know, that's in a way, that's kind of how it is. It's you're, 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 you are trying to get people in the organization to overcome their own instinct and do something differently. And the only way you can do that is to provide it in a way that will help suppress that inherent resistance to the change and give them cause to recognize it. And, and so, you know, the story is, is exactly that it's, it's a way for 
them to help that medicine go down easily and, you know, for them to accept it and not reject it out of hand. I don't know. That's kind of a crazy analogy, but it just kind of popped into my head when you were talking about the gatekeepers. You see, Christian, this is what makes you so great. You just used a device that is something that that humans have used for ever since we've been in existence to learn a metaphor the reason why stories are so powerful and there's so much research on this it's how we learn stories are how we remember things metaphors are how we relate and and can understand principles ideas and so one of the things that, that we have to do to become effective storytellers is understand our story so well that we can, we can simplify it in a way that people can understand. You know, so often you think of people, a lot of people who, who may be listening to this have technical training or technical backgrounds. You may be an engineer, you may be a project manager, you may be, you know, technology or IT expert and so you're like well you know that that that's great for all the plebeians and the average person but i my work is so complex and detailed i have to explain things out in in data and slide decks and you know you have to be able to express an idea succinctly so that you get everybody on board why because if you keep things complex you will not be able to get the connection and, and this is this is the neuroscience of stories, right? You will literally, uh, uh, when you when you create a story, you connect to other people emotionally in a way that causes them to act. Their brain receives the the story and and interprets that in a way that they can go and, and take action. And you just gave a great example of a metaphor of how the body reacts and rejects things in a way like, wow, that's exactly what those gatekeepers are doing. They're rejecting the bone graft that could save the body in spite of themselves. And, and so people are like, okay, I need to listen to this. And that, but you, you did it in a very simple and, and succinct way. So you have to be able, I remember I was given, I've talked about Kelvin, you know, hundreds of times on the show. I remember one of the assignments that he gave me through, through church is I went to this hours long training I was, uh, I was supposed to go to. And he gave me the assignment to, uh, to share with what was called the high council at, you know, at the time. So 12 other, you know, 15 of us total uh, uh, of leaders of, of this, of this organization, our church. And he gave me 15 minutes. He says, you've got 15 minutes to, to be able to share all the principles. And so I had to take all the ideas. What's the most important thing? How can I distill that down into a very brief training for everybody? And when I had done that, he was so impressed. He was like, that is exactly what I was looking for. But to take a, a, a big idea and distill it down into a very compact, succinct delivery takes effort. It means you have to understand what it is you're talking about. You have to know the principles. You have to understand the story so that you can distill it into a one page, one paragraph, even one word if possible. You do that, and you have the ability to connect with people's, what is the word, enabling emotions, it, 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 triggering in, in terms of activating their, their desire to support and engage. That's a hard thing to do, especially if you've been in a position for a long time and you have deep domain expertise. Yeah. Uh, you know. You, you can operate on assumptions that people know certain things when in fact they do not, you know? And so being able to, to take something that is complex and distill it down to something that is simple, that not only you understand, but the other people who do not have the background that you have will yeah, understand. So eliminate the jargon, right? Eliminate the, the buzzwords. That's right. And connect uh, using language that people are going to understand. You know, uh, one of the things that the authors, uh, uh, propose here, that, that's a core piece of it. It's really foundational, which you just talked about, which is being able to describe things very simply, is honoring your past. Mm -hmm. And 
I'm curious if you've had experiences and maybe this experience with reporter leadership, uh, you know, there's a past there. You talked about it, yeah. been around for 30 years, been very successful, these transformative, these transformative things. So having this kind of conversation allows you to honor that past, but at the same time, acknowledge where some things may have fallen short, you know? So, so I thought that was a, that was a, that was a good example that you shared with, with rapport about, okay, looking at what you've done in the, in the past, but there are some things that we may need to change systematically. So it sounds to me like, okay, well, those items you ticked off the box when you were the CEO of rapport leadership. Um, the next item that they talk about in the article is having a, a clear and compelling mandate for the change, you know? So when, when it came to your experience with rapport, for example, uh, was that was that an area where it worked or is this an area where do you think maybe your approach um, fell a, a bit short in that area? Well, obviously it fell short in this area for for a couple of reasons, because in their mind, change was potentially risking what made them great uh, to, to, to be something else. Like, remember, I told you I, I was hired to do this different type of organizational training. And, and a, a lot of people looked at, so I started going out and speaking and they thought, oh, well, you're making that about you and not the training. The training was always the star. And that was like, that was not the case. It was just what I needed to do to, to, in, in order for us to succeed. Doing things differently was a threat to them, which meant they had to learn a new way of selling. And I didn't want to get rid of the old way because it, it worked in certain environments, but those environments were changing. The marketplace was changing. How they had done business all the way through the 90s, that worked. But now you get into a, a, an economy today where the consumer is so much more educated and so much more skeptical. You've got to be able to approach them differently. And, and they hadn't made that transition, and I had not made the case sufficiently to do that. Let me give you a microcosm of 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 this within the, the company we had multiple types of training it was all leadership based but we had six basically intensive workshops that you could take and if you took th the three uh main ones which was leadership breakthrough one leadership breakthrough two and power communication you would become what we call a master graduate and these were you know two and a half days each of a very intensive training the weakest of the three was what was called power communication. And it was a great class. It just wasn't as hard hitting. And, and, and so people didn't come out of that like, oh my gosh, my life has, you know, it's changed. Many did, but not as many as, as those other classes. One of the weakest things about the class is that the stories, the metaphors, the examples were so outdated. Even the music, I mean, we're talking about Barbara Streisand movie, you know, songs from the seventies. <laughs> I'm like, you got to change that stuff. I mean, you can keep the, the core of what, what makes that class great, but bring the, the stories and the metaphors up to date. And that is something that uh, the person who was in charge of training was so resistant. And, and uh, that is, I'm talking one training. Let's, let, if, if we were going to tweak anyone, let's tweak that. And I couldn't even get them to change the songs. Because they were they, obviously, so I did not do a compelling, uh, uh, I, I didn't do a good job of creating a compelling reason for change because they felt like it was sufficient as, as it was. I didn't. And uh, I, I didn't fight hard enough because, you know, I didn't, that I really want to die on that hill. I was more worried about, you know, making payroll. This is, this is the conundrum of, you know, of, of the executive is how do I, how do I do I really want to spend a lot of energy on that when I need to make sure I'm, I'm bringing, you know, revenue in and, and but they're closely related. And I knew they were. But being, you know, in a panic and an emergency mindset and mode made it very difficult for me to really spend all the time that I needed to. And that's not an excuse. It's just a reality of, of change that many people are experiencing out there. Well, they, the authors give a great example, uh, Domino's, uh, yeah. uh, pizza, and I'm sure many of our viewers and listeners are familiar with that example, the campaign that came out, I don't know, it was like 2016 or so on where, uh, you know, <laughs> they had heard from, you know, consumers yeah. 
that their pizza just didn't taste good. You know, happy with delivery times, not happy with the quality of the of the pizza. The product was just not good. And, you know, so they they decided they were going to make a change. What's interesting to me there, Spencer, is that they they I mean, they went head on and just were very bold about it. They could have taken a different approach, potentially, uh, which was to maybe um, not listen as much to the customer, uh, maybe make some more incremental changes. Uh, but they they went they went bold, they went hard. Yeah. And you know, it goes back to what you were talking about. Um, you know, having this compelling this compelling mandate for change. Uh, the the key word there is compelling because. If it doesn't convince the people in your organization, you know, if you don't, if your reason isn't good enough, you know, to convince people in the organization, then they, they are not going to want to change, right? They, uh, they, they, they're like, well, you know, I've been doing, I'm, I'm comfortable doing the way things that I'm doing that, or maybe they even are not necessarily comfortable doing, but it's just not, like you said, it's just not a big enough problem. Well, uh, but, you but didn't so want to die on that hill. You know, right. they, uh, um, but I really like the Domino's. I really like the Domino's example. They, where they, just they came out in front of everybody and said, "Our pizzas suck." Right, like on billboards, <laughs> we it tastes like cardboard. They took actual quotes from customers, and and one of the things that did that that created, you know, if you're if you're a a shareholder, you're you're a board member, you're a, a, an executive, you're like, oh my gosh, this is my company. Either I'm going to jump ship, or we're, we're, they literally put their backs to the wall, saying, "We have heard you, and we acknowledge it." And that's a story that they were telling. They were telling their customer's story about the experience they were having with their product, and they were they were completely transparent with the world and with their employees. And so now it's like, okay, what are we going to do with this? Are we going to are we going to just give up or are we going to do something different and they decided to spend the time to really figure out how to make their pizza taste better but they they were able to do that because now they had the you know the pressure the 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 reason the compelling reason to do something different and and that was the purpose of of really outing themselves and, and giving that compelling reason for a change. And I love that, that example, you know, they honored, like you said, they honored the past that we're great at delivery. We get it there on time, but it tastes like cardboard. Let's change that. <laughs> so, so, you, know, you, so you honor the good parts of the business. So you don't throw out everything and say, we, we suck at everything, but you need to, Hey, we're doing some good things. Um, I, I, you know, our friend Carla is listening here from Mon just outside of Montreal, and, and she has some comments. I wanted to inter uh, interject those here. She says, cultural gatekeepers act like an immune response. So she is quoting you already. Uh, there you go. And she's just saying, powerful metaphor, Christian. Did you see that? It just came off the top of your head, and you're impacting people all over the world. Um Gatekeepers of the culture will cannibalize any new change initiative if they don't buy into the into the why. So and there she's quoting us. And uh, thank you so much, Carla, for for shouting out. If you have comments or question anybody around the world, I'd love to love to hear from you. I'll do my best to uh, to to bring you on the show if you if you have questions. Sorry, I interrupted you. No, thank you, Carla, for the comments, uh, and thank you for for tuning in and listening and watching. We really appreciate it. Uh, we appreciate your support, and you've always been super supportive of the podcast, and we're grateful for you. You know, the this this compelling mandate. Uh, we can all agree, for example. Oh yeah, things are not great. They do need to change, but then you've got to build faith. Yes. Faith in the way forward and faith in your ability to lead it, you know, right. and and I think this is an area where sometimes organizations can fall down because maybe the the employees have lost confidence in the leadership. And even though they they understand and agree that things need to change, they may not believe that you are the person or you collectively are the team, the executive team. They're going to be able to carry out this vision. And so I'm curious, you know, in your experience, how, you know, how you've seen organizations 
or that you've worked with uh, either as an employee or as a as a consultant, a uh, coach, uh, you know how you've worked with organizations to help them overcome, you know, maybe some of the doubt that might exist uh, amongst the line staff or the management, you know, the the frontline managers who are like, okay, well, it's just another one of these initiatives, and you know. 12 months from now, we're going to be in the same spot we are today because we just don't believe in the leadership. Yeah, that's a great, great question. And, you know, we see that every day. And in my case, I, I had to leave the organization. You and I were talking before we love to talk sports. And there's always a, a great, even if you're, if you don't play sports or follow sports, there's, there's just so many great examples that come from sports. But here in the United States, college football season is well underway. We're, we're coming into our, you know, 10th, 9th, 10th, 11th game of the season for many teams. And, and one of the teams that had high, high expectations was the, the USC Trojans. The, you know, those turncoats who left the Pac-12 and destroyed the conference. But anyway, you know, they brought in Lincoln Riley, who was uh, – you know, this vaunted coach from, from Oklahoma who, who did a, a great job there to turn the organization around. Well, this is his second year, and they are not meeting expectations. And uh, their defense is just terrible. And they, you know, they let 52 points get scored on them this last weekend. And so Lincoln Riley had to take action and fire his defensive coordinator. Why? Because the defensive players lost faith in his ability to actually help them to win and they as a result they weren't listening to him they weren't they weren't buying into him they had they'd given up hope you have got to see progress in you know the 10th game of the season they're still getting you know 52 points scored on them their their offense is doing amazing but if you score 48 points in a game you should win that game and they were not able to do that because the, the defense wasn't wasn't working. So you have to have wins. Um, I was just uh, working with, I, I had a, a, a text that I received last night that I responded to this morning from somebody that I was coaching, part of a team that I'm working on. And I was helping some of these individual teams. And the CEO reached out to me a couple of months ago, Christian, and said, I've got this longtime employee that I don't know if he's going to make it anymore. His team, uh, it, there's a real problem with him on his team. And I, I just, I, I don't think he can, he can change. And so I had to have a real hard conversation with this employee. And he had to, I had to tell him the story. And, and so a lot of these principles that we're talking about with organizations apply to individuals as well. If you need an individual to change their behavior, First of all, identify what the problem is and sit down and talk to them. Listen, uh, so-and-so, this is, this is the problem that, that um, I'm noticing, namely X. And it, it, it's not about, in this case, it's not about emotion. It is a fact. So, for example, this is a, just a very basic example. In the last two months, Christian, you've come into, late, you know, come into work late five times. They can't argue with it, right? So I've noticed, uh, uh, Christian, in, in your work with your teams, that there is they're not responding to you. As a matter of fact, you know, we've gotten some feedback that they're frustrated. It's not, it, it's not my opinion. It's this is what I've noticed. And do you, do you acknowledge that 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 is happening? They have to acknowledge that what you're telling them is true, or you can't get the change. The next thing that you do is you create a compelling story of the impact of their behavior on the organization and quite frankly on them. So in this, in this case, I was saying, listen, your team right now is frustrated and here's, it's causing them to, to, to not be as engaged. It's causing us to not be able to actually recruit people to be on your team. They're coming and they're leaving and the turnover is too high. And that's making it hard for, for you to get the job done, which means we need to bring people from other teams to fill in where you're shorthanded, and that's stretching them. So that's the story, right? It, they're, they're frustrated because they have to give up their people to make up for the fact that you, don't have, you can't keep people on your team. And the last story is our faith in you as a leader is diminished. And we don't know if this is sustainable. 
Are you willing to do something different and change? Yes or no. And if they're not willing to change, then you may have to say, all right, this is not the place for you. But if they are, that's where you can then, I've told them the story of the impact on the organization and on their career. Now, hopefully they have enough impetus, enough emotion, enough energy to say, I'm going gonna, I'm, I'm gonna to leave or I'm going to change. And I just sent a text because we just did our annual retreat. This I did it last year and this year. He showed up so much differently in this training. He still has a, a long ways to go, but he has made improvement. And that creates hope. If you have a change initiative, score a quick win and tell that story. Why that's going to give people hope that you're the person to lead it. And second, they're going to see that the, the, the change is working. You cannot wait until everything has happened for you to call out the successes. But there are a lot of people that really struggle with this idea, Christian. Because they're like, well, I don't, this is what I'm paying my people to do. They, they should be doing these things. No, they need to be told. They need to be, they, they need to know that the efforts that they are exerting are having an impact. Well, Spencer, not only do they need to be told, but this story needs to be repeated again and again, right? And yes. the article talks about this. You take these various components, you combine it into this narrative, and then you tell this story over and over and over again. To come back to your sports analogy, yeah. uh, our team here, University of Utah, my wife and Go I, Utes. Dad, Go Utes, um, has faced serious adversity in this season because they've had so many impact players out with injury they, they, they're starting quarterback they're two top two tight ends uh running backs uh you know key defensive players i mean it's just across the board they've had all of these injuries um you cannot go to a press conference held with the coach or with athletes without hearing the phrase next man up right they have taken their culture and they have distilled it into a simple phrase, next man up, and they say it over and over and over again. You know they believe it because they're saying it unprompted in these press conferences. Well, and you right? mean they have two freshman players that have never played before that go in and impact the game. They are singing the praises of these players because they are making an impact in filling the gap to for those senior players that are not there, giving them confidence that this next man up mentality is working and we're going to continue to win whether or not we have our you know starting quarterback starting tight end whatever the position is that we can win without them yeah yeah so i really love that and they just say it over and over again to the point where you're like okay we get it in my own family you i'm sure you hear this from your kids you know i tell a story or my wife tells a story and they're like yeah we've heard that one before I'm like great you're going to hear it again because that means you remember it i'm glad that you i'm glad to hear you say i've heard that one before because you remember it and i'm going to tell it to you again because <laughs>
are spooks. You know, in other words, they're they're, <laughs> they're spies that that uh, go out and figure out how to how to defeat the enemy. And one of the things that that they did is that they were finding that terrorist organizations were telling stories to get recruits. The stories were so powerful that people are willing to this is horrible, willing to, to end their lives for the cause, right? I mean, blow themselves up. And so they're like, how, how can we utilize the same ideas to counteract that? And guess what those ideas were? Stories. How do we use stories to, to share and create a, a, an impact to, to, to get people to behave uh, in certain ways to support or, or reject uh, ideas. And stories are so powerful. And emotion is a big part of that. I mean, just think about a parent getting that, how, how much pride they would have in the child that they raised. And then the next time they have them over for dinner or pick, pick up the phone, listen, you know, <laughs> I just want you to know I'm so proud of you. You're doing such a great job the pride that that would instill in business. And that's an example of, of a win. Hey, your, your, you know, your son or daughter has been doing this and it's making an impact and reward the behaviors that you want to change. And that's part of the, of, of telling the stories over and over again. When you have somebody do something right on your team, instead of harping on everything that's going wrong, focus on those things that are going right. What you focus on, you will get more of. And so as you're telling stories of, of people that are doing the behaviors and taking the actions that you want them to take, other people are going to say, hey, I, I, I want to be that. I want to, I want to follow that. I want to, I want to be like Christian and have people talk about me. So just a simple, a simple thing to example of this to wrap things up here from my point of view anyway, or from, from my side. So uh, it was... A week and a half ago, uh, here in our church, uh, they were having a blood drive, right? And they were worried because they weren't getting people signed up for the blood drive. So uh, in church on Sunday, my wife got up and, you know, said, uh, people, it's really important to be, you know, to, to, to give of our time and our means here and to donate blood. And she shared the story of our niece who passed away last year from leukemia and how critical the, you know, the, the, the blood donations were to her treatments and so on and so forth and being able to you know, fight this disease, even though ultimately uh, it didn't work the way that we all hoped that it would. Right. And, uh, and so I went there and you know, did my thing. <clears throat> and then... Uh, uh, this Sunday, so so two days ago from when our, when we're recording, uh, we were told that they actually had to turn people away. They didn't have enough tables. They didn't have enough resources there to accommodate all the people who showed up to donate blood. And really the motivator was a story that my wife shared, right? I mean, it just completely, completely changed it. And that's just a very, very tiny example of the power of story was it to emotional? motivate people to take action. Was the story emotional? Oh yeah. I mean, yeah. she, she was shedding tears when she told the story. Right. right. I mean, and so, and so what I, what I, what I say is, and, and the article spot on as well is, is don't, don't suppress those emotions. First of all, People in an organization that is struggling, they feel emotion. Acknowledge those emotions. Acknowledge your own emotions, whether they're positive or, or negative. It could be like frustration or, or regret, uh, you know, enthusiasm and anger and joy and all those good things. It's so interesting. My, uh, my daughter shared with me this app because she is, uh, she's brilliant. You know, she's a nurse and yet she, um, you know, brand new mom and she struggles with uh, anxiety from time to time. And, and she, and I just asked her about it and she's just so smart and, and, and I think so self-aware and she shared with me a, a tool that she uses and I absolutely love it. It's an app called how we feel. And, um, this app that you can download, you record, I, I, I set it up so I would check in twice a day, morning and night. How do I feel? Because I just, I think it's so important. I, I teach, you know, emotional intelligence. 
it's so important that we understand our emotions. And I think many of us struggle with, with that and using them to our benefit, you know, being authentic and, and calling them out. Sometimes we judge our own emotions. For in other words, I, I shouldn't be feeling this way or I shouldn't, you know, that's, a, that's when we judge it. And, and that prevents us from actually taking these emotions and channeling them in a positive way. Instead of, I, I love the idea of being an emotion scientist. And I do this with my clients too, is, is when, when we're talking, it's like, how, you know, how, how did you do on, on your behavior change today? Be completely honest. Did you, did you struggle or did you do really well? Rate yourself on a scale from one to 10. And if they struggled, let's say they did three out of 10, instead of judging themselves, be the scientist. Why did I struggle today? What was going on? What was causing that? The, the awareness then starts to, to, to rise up in us that we can say, okay, here's where that was coming from. And now I have power to change that. But if, not, if we say, well, I can't help the way I feel, I'm frustrated because I have, you know, Spencer's a bad boss or whatever, then, then we are helpless to change. We are blaming our circumstances on everyone around us. But if, on the other hand, we say, why am I feeling the way that I'm feeling? Could be because of Spencer. But what is it that he's doing that's causing me to behave this way? Why do I feel that way? Why am I responding the way that I'm responding? And now we can start to take ownership for our own emotions and our own responses and begin to respond in a positive way. And that is what's needed as well to get our own emotions under control when we're in difficult circumstances, but also to use emotion. And I'm not talking about to, to control, uh, uh, manipulate, always use those emotions to help people to do, to do good, to give blood, for example, to, to save the body, if you will, to, to save the business. You're not doing it to manipulate people to, to get your way, but to do what hopefully is best for them and for the organization. Yeah, I guess in a word, uh, like you said, you, you you have to be authentic because people can they can tell. They sniff that right. If out. you're faking it, yeah, they'll sniff it out, and so it has to come from a real place. Uh, but when it does, uh, they also can tell that too, and and I think that's fantastic. All right, Spencer, any other thoughts you want to share about storytelling driving change uh, before yeah, we wrap just, up? I just want to say one more thing about this, this, this authenticity. So often we think we're, you know, we're hiding who we are or what's going on with us. Uh, one of the things that I thought was fascinating coming out of these, this rapport training is that after the first day, we would, we would give people that were total strangers an opportunity to give each other feedback. And it was done you know, after a very emotional day. But people would say of this experience that, I got feedback from a total stranger that's known me for less than a day that is more spot on than any feedback I've gotten. It feels like they've known me my whole life. We are more transparent than, than we like to, to think. So it's okay to acknowledge those, those emotions. And, and, uh, and I think when you do that, it's, it's like when, when Meta, the company, was somebody had a, a, a situation where they were treated unfairly and they brought it to to the you know to the company and instead of embracing that and say we're sorry that this is happening and be authentic about it and embrace the emotion of this individually they tried to discredit this individual and that hurt them so sometimes by suppressing our own emotions and others we do more damage than acknowledging them so sorry for that little side rant but um i think it's important that we that we use emotion and not be afraid of those. And just like the whole idea of storytelling, it seems so antithetical to those analytical minds out there that, uh, that want to change the world. But embrace these concepts. That is the secret to getting the results that you want. Well said, Spencer. Gosh, if people want to learn more about how you can help them drive organizational change, uh, improve the performance of their teams, really achieve their potential. Uh, what's the best way for them to connect with you? You know, I, I love it if you just reach, I get everybody, everybody, I, I, brain's not working right now. Uh, I get so many people reach out to me on LinkedIn. That is my preferred way. Just just message me on, on LinkedIn and uh, you can find me, Spencer Horn and Christian, same. I mean, they want to learn where that 
brilliant metaphor just came out of your head about the body. How can they find out more about you and contact you? Oh, thank you, Spencer. LinkedIn, the same. Uh, yeah, just look me up on LinkedIn. Just look up Christian Napier on LinkedIn. You'll find me there. So, Spencer, thank you for a really informative, educational, inspirational hour of your time. Listeners and viewers, also, thank you for chiming in. So, Carla, thanks for your comments today. We really appreciate them. Uh, we invite anybody who is listening to uh, uh, live uh, on LinkedIn or other platforms, please uh, feel free to join our conversation. We really oh, appreciate Christian, it. Before we go, I, we, we don't go yet. We have a guest. We know who's coming. The ne- We have guests the next two weeks all lined out. Can we just oh, yeah. really quickly before we say goodbye? Yes. We yeah. Have, next week, we have Fola F. Alabi. And uh, I, Fola is so exciting. I mean, she's wonderful to talk to. I actually met her earlier this year in San Diego. She lives in, in Canada, originally from the UK. So she's got this, this, this beautiful English accent. Um, and she's going to be talking about harnessing the collective team competency uh, of your team. And she's got this learn, L-E-A-R-N plus model that she's going to share with us that, uh, that she, she has so much knowledge and experience in the area of project management. And really her, her focus is to help project managers develop into the, you know, into the C-suite and that's her, her focus. So she's going to be with us um, next week. So please join us. And it's going to be on Tuesday at noon Eastern time. So sorry, wanted to get one last plug and uh, that's it. Yeah, so so Fola will be joining us on the 14th, and then on the 28th, we've got Paul Manivinen, who's going to be joining us from the UK as well, uh, and and he has made it his life's goal to help reduce the failure rate of startups and helping them build their their core teams early on, and and so I'm really excited to hear from Paul. Uh, he's doing really outstanding work, and uh, honored to have him as a guest. So. Uh, we look forward to all of you joining us in a week on the 14th at noon Eastern time, Eastern Standard Time now, not daylight time. And listeners and subscribers, thank you for, for being with us. And we look forward to catching you again soon.